Welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Here to talk all things hockey are your hosts, Brad Crisco, Ryan Hanna, and Evan Lobsinger. You know, usually we're delayed starting on this podcast because one of us is late for one reason or another. You know, worthy reason or not, both happen quite often. Um, but today is a funny reason. Uh, we're late. Or we're not late, but we had to wait a minute before starting because Evan has uncontrollable hiccups right now. They're still going. I'm going to have to be very precise in the mute button today. Honestly, usually like sniffles, <laughs> watching your body lurch backwards muted is hysterical. When you have like sniffles or things like that, I, I try to be diligent in editing them out as much as I can. I don't know. But uh, if you get any hiccups in, I'm probably going to leave it in because it's objectively funny for Brad and I. It's all part of the bit now. Yeah. All right, uh, boys. All three of us are magnetized, uh, which means soon enough. I don't. We don't have an exact date. We'll be back in the studio eventually. Um, Unfortunately, it didn't make me any prettier, so uh, condolences to Mel and for everyone watching on YouTube. You still have to look at my face, uh, but we're on our way. Anyhow, uh, the Winged Wheel Podcast. Welcome to the show. I'm Ryan Hanna. I'm Brad Crisco. Oh, there was a hiccup there. And I'm Evan. <laughs> <laughs> Finished yawning, gets out a hiccup, then introduces. On this episode of the podcast, uh, we're going to cover a few topics. Uh, First and foremost, we're going to be discussing um, the situation coming out of, uh, or sorry, the story coming out of Chicago from 2010 that's kind of just uh, coming to light and being more heavily reported on now. Uh, We'll be talking about the Stanley Cup Finals. You know, one that we all predicted would happen. Uh, we have a an excellent interview with Chris Peters to fill in our prospect talk for this episode before jumping into overtime. Uh, but first, of course, I do want to talk to you about the Jamie Daniels Foundation. Uh, they're a foundation that we are proud to partner with and support. The more we talk about substance use disorder, the faster we can end the stigma and get support to those in need. The Jamie Daniels Foundation is a children's foundation initiative and was established in memory of Jamie Daniels, founded by Jamie Jamie's father and Red Wings lead announcer, who you'll know as Ken Daniels, and Jamie's mother, Lisa Daniels-Goldman. They strive to end the stigma of substance use disorder and provide and provide support to those struggling with the disease or who are, who are in recovery. To learn more and support the Jamie Daniels Foundation, visit jamiedanielsfoundation.org. And again, if you haven't listened yet, uh, we had an excellent, excellent, excellent interview uh, that we had the privilege of doing with Ken Daniels uh, a little while back. So uh, scroll back through your feed to listen to that episode. Okay. So let's start with the the Chicago news. And this is some something that's been coming to light over the past kind of while it's been, it, it's come up and it's something from 2010. Uh, and I just want to say credit to Katie Strang uh, uh, Mark Lazarus and Scott Powers at The Athletic. Um, Katie just continues to do phenomenal, phenomenal reporting and journalism. Um, in 2010, it is uh, alleged that Brad Aldrich, who is a video coach for the Chicago Blackhawks, um, sexually assaulted two of the players. There is currently litigation going on. Um, one of the former players has filed a lawsuit against the Blackhawks uh, alleging this. Uh, additionally, there is even more to the story. Um, 
it was reported by the players to a skills coach by the name of Paul Vincent, who brought it to the team president, uh, John McDonough, GM, who you'll know as Stan Bowman, and vice president of hockey ops, Al McIsaac. Um, Paul Vincent recommended that this be brought to the Chicago police, the sex crimes division, and the team uh, declined that notion. And at some point, I don't know the exact timeline, I don't have the notes in front of me, uh, Aldrich was left the team. He came back for the cup final pictures and I think something with the parade, but he left the team. He went to a U18 program, I believe. It was like a high school program. And there is a current lawsuit, I believe, in that case because the Chicago Blackhawks allegedly gave him a positive letter of recommendation. And uh, while he was there, um, he like he joined. Oh, it was in Houghton, Houghton, Michigan. I'm sorry if I'm saying that wrong. Um in December 2013, after his second stint as a volunteer assistant coach there, and I'm reading right from the athletic article here, he pleaded guilty to charges of criminal sexual conduct with a teen and sentenced to nine months in jail. So that's where the second lawsuit's coming from against the Blackhawks because they gave him a positive reference. There's more to be said here, uh, things that Aldrich did or allegedly did at other programs, but this is uh, coming to light for the general public now. So I apologize for the... Um, you know, very heavy details here, but that's what the hockey world is, is grappling with. So, um, I guess let's, let's just chat about this for a minute. I mean, this, I hate this and everything about this so much. Cause I, I want to sit here and just scream in blind rage, but you know, that's kind of my shtick on here and I don't want to do that for something this serious. Honestly, they, did not report this. They gave this man a positive recommendation. And because nobody reported it and because they supported him, he assaulted a minor. Like, I can't come to terms with how disgusting that is. As far as I'm concerned, everybody in the Blackhawks organization who knew about it and didn't report it is complicit in that following assault again i don't know the exact law in the state so i'm not going to pretend whether or not i know he can or will be anybody will be brought up on this but they should be this goes beyond hockey i don't give a shit about the context of the blackhawks the hockey team here i give i give a shit about the context of the people involved i don't care if it's a lawyer a general manager a player doesn't matter this is a very serious crime that was brushed under the table for the sake of a game. Again, we've talked about this in different contexts. Hockey is a game. It's a sport. It's there for our entertainment. It doesn't matter. Hockey does not matter in real life. It is there to get away from real life. It is there for our entertainment, to have a break from reading stories like this, from all the normal stresses of life. So when you hear something like this, happened because hockey men wanted to win a trophy. I mean, I have no words to describe the level of anger this gives me. It's sickening at every level. Yeah. And you know what? There's going to be a lot of comments saying hindsight, blah, blah, blah. Look, this is obviously something that's blowing up in Chicago's face 11 years later. You know what would have been a simple solution? Uh, the execs who heard this said, okay, they 
suspend Aldrich with pay until an investigation is done. They report it to the police right away because of the nature of the allegations. If it came up and this, I'm not saying this is the case, but if it came up that there was no wrongdoing, then you reinstate him and you deliver whatever kind of message to clarify that, you know, blah, blah, blah. But if there was wrongdoing, then you deal with it in that moment. He's fired and brought up on criminal charges and he doesn't, isn't allowed to, to prance off to other programs and hurt other people, especially minors. Um, it's really not difficult. It's really not difficult. And it's not, you know, there are a lot of things that, you know, I'm finding, I'm having a hard time um, articulating this. There's a lot of difficult conversations to have when everyday stresses, when, you know, culture and society bleeds into sport. And I don't think things are so black and white or there's always an easy decision. This one is easy. I have no idea what could possibly justify sweeping sexual assault under the rug and preserving this guy's status as uh, uh, in his career at the expense of real human lives. It is just so bafflingly stupid. That's why I'm struggling to, to articulate it. Like, there's just really no words to comprehend why Chicago, the organization, would make this their problem this way. I'm not saying they wouldn't have had responsibilities, you know, if this happened under their purview or under their jurisdiction. No, you would still need to figure out how this happened and why this happened and sort that out as well. But nobody is going to be coming around, coming at the Chicago Blackhawks like we all are now because they should come clean and they should allow an open investigation and they should make sure the truth comes out and things are remedied now. But nobody would be doing this had they just done the right thing initially. And it's so simple. You tell a toddler that, just do the right thing right away. But here we are, grown-ass men who couldn't do the right thing. And what's going to make this worse is we know why they did it. They were a top team in the league. They did not want anything to ruin that. Again, they wanted to win a trophy in this game. What's probably the worst part about it? They did. There's, they probably sat back at the end of the year and went, sure glad that didn't come out. Sure glad that worked. We got our trophy. Sure, who cares what happens to everybody else that this guy will assault after this because we got a piece of hardware. You know, you know that thought went through their head when it was all said and done. I mean, whatever punishment the NHL is going to throw at the Hawks, throw at the owner, throw at the people involved, it's not going to be stiff enough. I echo exactly what you guys said. Like, it's just... It's just so fucked up what people will do just to win in a sport. And like, yeah. In the NHL, there hasn't been a peep about it other than, you know, the reports and the articles coming out, which I can understand because there's ongoing litigation behind it. But it's just what a freaking mess. Well, uh, it'll be a surprise to no one that this story is going to continue to develop as I'm sure more information rolls out. So there will be more to come on that. Um, but we did want to open the show by addressing that first. Okay. Uh, before we get into the interview with Chris, let's discuss the Stanley Cup finals. So <laughs> this, is gonna, this is going to be a segment, Brad, where I think we're going we're gonna to come to blows. Um the Montreal Canadiens take out the Vegas Golden Knights in six games. 
the Vegas Golden Knights took out the Colorado Avalanche, who I would have said were the best team in the league the, the round prior. And the Montreal Canadiens beat them in six games. Uh, Tampa Bay won a thriller over the Islanders. I thought that was a fantastic series. Doesn't matter how boring any individual game was. I thought that series had all of its moments. That went to seven. Uh, the hockey gods have been kind to us. And Tampa Bay came out on top. Um, I, I do think Tampa was the better team in that series. But I, I could have seen that going either way. Regardless, Tampa Bay has a chance to repeat. Montreal has a chance to be the first Canadian Cup champ since the 93 Canadians. So, initial thoughts. Evan, you first, because I know what Brad's going to say. Hey, we get exactly what everybody wants. Red and red and blue versus the white and blue. It's a great final. Everybody's wanted it for a long time. Well, I don't know. Like, we got Tampa, who are a bunch of cheaters, and I don't care if it's whatever people think about it. They're they're greasy cheaters. There's no way you're telling me that Kucherov couldn't play before Game One of the playoffs because he is looks like he's in mid season sh- form right now. I I'm all aboard Montreal. I I've drank the Kool Aid. I'm all on board. I hope Montreal wins this. They have a tough test, but I said the exact same thing with Vegas. They've done it once. They can do it again. I really hope Montreal pulls it out. And like I said to my buddies in our group chat, I said, Montreal's going to burn one way or another. They're going to win and it's going to burn down. They're going to lose and it's going to burn down. So I just hope Tampa Bay just doesn't blow them out of the water. I hope it's not like a five or four gamer and Montreal can make it interesting. I I think they can. They've got lightning in a bottle every series. I, I'm all, I'm on board. I'm Montreal in five. <laughs> okay, f- first of all, screw you. Well, did you just say Montreal in five? <laughs> I said shit. I said the Vegas series. It was going to be one of the teams in five. I was close. Uh, I threw to you first because I didn't think you'd bring up the Tampa Bay being over the cap thing. So piss off with that. Um, no, yeah, I I'm also on the Montreal train. First of all, let, let's put it out there. From a Red Wings fan perspective, there's no winners here for Red Wings fans unless you're able to detach yourself from that, which I think every like we all just should. Like just enjoy the playoffs for what they are. It's okay. Like there's enough of a story here where I'm okay getting behind Montreal because I think it's objectively hilarious. I want as few repeat cup winners as possible because I want the 97 and 98 Red Wings to stand in hockey, like modern hockey history, keep their place. Fucking Penguins already did it, so we don't need more of that. Um, I don't like whining about the cap thing. I, I like. I think Brad's points and Evan's points are correct that it's a nuisance and it's it's shady, but it's within the purview of these stupid NHL rules. They're not the first team to do it. They won't be the last team to do it. And until they close that loophole, I don't find it productive to whine about it. But I still want Montreal to beat them because I think that's funny as hell that Tampa Bay has more than a full team and they'd get carry priced. Isn't their salary now higher than the 2002 Red Wings? Is it actually? Well, I mean, once you count for inflation, I guess that's not too surprising. I suppose that's true. Yeah. Um, I I said uh, Vegas in five. I'm not going to start changing the way I, I, I predict it now. I think Tampa's an unreal team. I think Tampa could afford to sit Kucherov for two games to heal up because I think he has some busted ribs from Mayfield. I'll go Tampa in five here. 
But let me tell you, I will laugh every single time Montreal scores a goal. So let me be clear, because I've said this a hundred times, but people still take it. I do not begrudge Tampa for going infinity dollars over the cap. The loophole was there. They exploited it. I'd have done the exact same thing. I blame the NHL for having such a stupid loophole. You could take Vasilevsky off the lightning right now. They're over the cap. I I don't care about the legalities of it. It feels unfair. It feels wrong. The NHL lost an entire season to get a salary cap and to bring parity to the NHL and then allow a team to just absolutely piss all over the line of the salary cap in the most important part of the year. Like, I, I hate it. The Hawks did it before. Nobody raised as big a sting. People are making more of a sting with Tampa because they are just way more over than even the Hawks were to the point where it doesn't feel fair because, again, Tampa was a super team to begin with in this era, which is impressive to do, but now they're doing it without a salary cap. It's just, I can't come to terms with it because it just doesn't feel fair. Can I add one point to this before we move off like the cap specific discussion? And this is in both of your, like both of you are are objectively correct and I know that and the one thing that gets me is that the NHL went out of their way to retroactively close or uh, retroactively implement cap recapture penalties for teams who created contracts in a way that was legal at the time. And they went and retroactively made those contracts illegal or, you know, move them outside of the, the green zone into this gray zone where now you have like the Shea Weber contract or the Roberto Luongo contract and a couple different contracts that had these massive penalties attached when the player retired. I think that's insane. And what's even more insane is the NHL is unwilling to close this loophole when they went so far in the other direction on the, uh, uh, on the cap uh, structure for long contracts thing. So that, it's it's just so inconsistent from the NHL. The only consistency here is that they are inconsistent and that they aren't organized about it. Like that's the NHL getting in its own way. That seems what? unlike what? them. In this year of our Lord, twenty twenty one, absolutely not. Anyways, Brad, go ahead. So yeah, so that all leads me to my grandiose point. Grandiose. I know. I know. I'm doing it on purpose, Ryan. I'm going to keep doing it. Um, Tampa's a better team. I mean. I'm going to pick with my brain every round, not with my heart, just because it's what we do. And Tampa is better in just about every facet of the game of hockey, except for goaltending right now. And even that's pretty damn close. How do you not pick Tampa? Like, I hope I'm wrong. I mean, I passionately dislike both of these teams, but, you know, at least Montreal's story is fun. At least it's a true Cinderella team in the era of bottom feeders going on runs not being all that uncommon uh, you know there's there's a lot of fun to it they canadian team being up north a lot of people are talking about a great good storyline still don't like the team but i'd rather that than you know the evil empire winning it again so i'm gonna take tampa in six i just hope i'm wrong i have to say as an overall storyline, ignoring the details that made it this way, as an overall storyline, scrappy underdog representing a group that hasn't won a cup, which is any Canadian team in, you know, how 18 years, uh, 
beat three or two top teams and a team that beat another purportedly top team to get here against the villain, someone which a lot our team which a lot of hockey fans are rallying against. That is a fantastic storyline for the NHL. I like these playoffs have been so fun in so many different series, and for it to culminate into this true David versus Goliath, like we're talking whether Deneau can shut down <laughs> Tampa Bay's best players. Like that is to me, that's what the playoffs are all about. It is so easy to get embedded in which team should have won this series, or if you run this series a hundred times, who wins fifty-one times or more? Like that's all well and good, but to me, that's not what the playoffs are about. The playoffs are about eking out that extra little bit of percentage, sacrificing your body, making the play, players stepping up and doing things that they, you know, wouldn't have done or couldn't have done in the regular season because they are just willing to do anything possible to win the Stanley Cup. It sounds like you know all. Oh, old school hockey but no that's not it this is it's the toughest competition in sports winning 16 times in the stanley cup playoffs to win the stanley cup is the most difficult thing to do in team sports and to me this is what it's all about i'm gonna i hope this series doesn't end in four or five because that would be a disservice i hope we see montreal put up a fight because this is just so quintessential hockey it's so quintessential stanley cup playoffs no, the quintessential hockey is the storylines around the Montreal Canes right now because it's hilarious because everybody's watching the same thing we are and they're just learning the wrongest of lessons. Carey Price is Carey Price and he's being Carey Price. We Everybody agrees on that. The analytics guys and the old hockey men shaking hands on that topic. And yet all the storylines about where they're succeeding up uh, – like in front of Carey Price, oh, they're big defensemen and Philip Dano and, you know, Corey Perry's turning back the clock. And those are the storylines you see over and over and over again. But really, who's driving this team on offense? The rookie. Nick, Suzu- young guy. Nick Suzuki, Cole Caulfield, Jesperi Kotkaniemi. Three very young, very small. Well, Kotkaniemi's not that small, but very small forwards. Nobody's calling attention to that. (laughs) Like Montreal is succeeding because everything is going right. Obviously, I'm not shooting down everything Deneau, Perry, and and their big four defensemen have been doing. They've been playing great. There is no arguments there. But just to gloss over the part, that other part, the most fun part of it is just quintessential hockey media. Cole Caulfield has had as many goals in the semifinals as every Vegas forward combined. Nick Suzuki is their number one centerman. And yes, Perry Kotkaniemi is like a half a goal per game player in the playoffs. It is amazing to watch. And is that the lesson teams are going to take from Montreal? My big fear if Montreal wins and the only real downside here other than the ones we've already talked about if Montreal wins is too many hockey teams are just gonna do the dumbest things imaginable to try and copy Montreal when I think we all know it's not sustainable and the most sustainable part is the part nobody's talking about or not talking about nearly enough I will say this is funny because uh, for those who have listened long enough you'll know but for listeners who have come in after the Moritz Sider draft uh, we had liked Moritz Sider and hoped, but knew it wouldn't happen that he would drop to the second round. Like we, we had a couple features on Moritz Sider, and that's where we thought he would go. He started rising. He was in the mid twenties, late teens, maybe for some people. 
Uh, so we're like, ah, that guy won't be there for the Red Wings in the second round. So who we were looking at before the shock that was the cider pick was um, Turcott was at the top of a lot of our list in terms of who was even remotely reasonable, but we figured he'd be gone. Zegris was our, you know, assuming Turcott was gone, Zegris was the main guy we were hoping for. And somewhere in the mix, I think all three of us were saying like, you know, we we watched uh, Debrinket do the same thing in Chicago. We want Cole Caulfield. The kid scores, and he scores at an unholy rate. Um, I think Prashanth was actually doing a lot of good work to demonstrate, you know, Cole Caulfield's prodigious scoring rate. And when the Red Wings didn't draft him, and then they drafted more at Cider, uh, Anaheim ended up with Zegris, but, you know, Caulfield kept falling and falling and falling. And when he went to 15, I remember saying, or one of us said, a lot of people said, actually, you know, we're not special for this. Holy shit, I can't believe this league just let Cole Caulfield fall to Montreal at 15. That is a steal. And it's early. He's just starting. Like, you know, anything can happen. But how many times is the NHL going to make this, sta- miss this mistake with a small superstar or someone with superstar level talent? So when I sent out that tweet after Caulfield scored that last goal, kind of mocking every, almost every team that passed on him, people thought I was talking about Mo. Obviously, I wasn't talking about, like, come on. Philly took Cam York. Minnesota took Matt Boldy. Like, we all know who that shot was aimed at. I went back and I'm like, okay, I distinctly remember having Cole Caulfield pretty high on my rankings, but I might be talking out my ass. So I wanted to, Double check just to make sure I wasn't making fun of myself. If you had to guess a number where I had Caulfield ranked, what, what do you think? First, six, second, sixth. <laughs> I you had, had him ranked sixth. So in my, in my thing, he would have been a Red Wing. So actually, I'm looking through this. This was probably one of my stronger rankings because I've had some uh, years where I. <laughs> Are you stroking yourself this off of about your old rankings on the episode uh, right now? I am. I, I don't normally do all that well on these. This one actually is panning out pretty well. But anyways, um, I just, it makes me laugh. Small hockey player uh, can't succeed because he's small. Uh, small hockey player goes on to succeed. Uh, everybody is surprised. It's, yeah, I hate if, hockey. If Frodo can take the ring into Mordor, Cole Caulfield can score goals in the playoffs. Not impossible. <laughs> well, um, it's crazy to think he's doing this. He didn't have a regular season. He played this season at Wisconsin. So that and they- was one thing I was going to say is, you know, let's imagine, for example, he just goes off this series and he wins the Conn Smythe. He would be the only the second player ever to win the Conn Smythe before their rookie season. Um, the only other person who's done that is Ken Dryden. He got called up for six games. And then the next, and won the con Smythe in the playoffs, and then the next year won the rookie of the year. So it could be wild. He's got a couple of people to pass, but yeah, I was just looking that up, and that's that's pretty wild. Honestly, uh, the phrase "if Frodo can carry the ring into Mordor, Cole Caulfield can whatever you said score" is going to be the peak of this segment. So I think we should cut it off there. <laughs> I like how w- you don't remember what it was, even though it'll be the peak. Yeah, well, I mean, it's you talking, and you never listen to us, so I, I actually have to actively. It actually kind of hurts. Huh? Kind of hurts. <laughs> wow. If if I cared enough, I'd edit in that clip of, huh? That's how that feels. I think Loki said that. Yeah, Loki said that. Anyways, 
We're going to jump into our interview with Chris Peters. Uh, we're going to talk more about prospects, but instead of uh, looking retroactively, we're going to look towards the future here uh, to the 2021 NHL draft. So without further ado, enjoy that interview with Chris Peters. We are joined today by Chris Peters, who you will know from Hockey Sense with Chris Peters on Sub Substack and host of the Talking Hockey Sense podcast, one of the giants of the pot or of the prospecting world as long as we've been following it. Chris, it is truly an honor to have you on the show. Thanks for coming on. Hey, my pleasure. Thanks for having me, guys. Great to be with you. So the question is, how much sleep have you had and how much sleep do you anticipate having up until this draft? Ah, uh, man, it, it it varies by night. But tonight, you catch me on a night where I'm I'm actually uh, re uh, you know finishing up my my final draft rankings, which is a process that takes forever, uh, regardless of how many times I have gone over this in my head. So uh, once I get that done, I will sleep a lot easier. But there's going to be a lot more content between now and the draft, and so yeah, so not much sleep. But, uh, you know, well, well versed in a lack of sleep with uh, two kids. And, you know, obviously just I mean, I keep bloggers hours anyway, which just means that I'm up all night as it is. So, uh, yeah, it's 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 right now it's I'm definitely feeling it. So hopefully I can get this done before and maybe get like two to three tonight and I'll be a lot happier about that. Here we are just draining you of whatever energy you need to actually get your rankings done. <laughs> it's all right. It's almost so, done. It's just tweaking now. Perfect. Which means you are primed to have us pull that great information out of you. So I'm going to start with a broad strokes question here. Uh, this draft has been touted as one that is a little bit blurry near the top. Uh, you know, avoiding the context of there aren't any super, super top end players Pretty much anything can happen, really, from picks one to ten. Are there any guys that you are zeroing in on who you feel are truly being underrepresented at the top and people should consider more as a top six pick? Just mm. a random number out there. Yeah, not really. I mean, I think that, you know, we have a pretty good feel for roughly the top nine. Like, those guys are kind of in a cluster now. Um, based on everything that I've been hearing and, and just kind of doing some of my own work. Um, the, the, the real kind of screwball in there is, is what, where the goalies are, you know, um, where they should end up. And, and so that's, that's interesting. You know, it's just, I think, you know, for me, my top five guys aren't necessarily all that different. I mean, I think Owen Power has fully established himself as number one. So that's the easy one that's out of the way. After that, throw it out the window in terms of what's going to happen. Um, you know, I think that, you know, Matty Beneers is, is the guy that I, I feel pretty strongly should be, you know, in among the top three picks in this draft. Um, that's not a necessarily a, a consensus feeling. Um, but I mean, I feel pretty strongly that he belongs in there. I feel the same way about Luke Hughes. I think that he's been sometimes maligned for some of the wrong things, um, in his game. And, um, you know, I still feel like he's a top five talent in this draft. He, you know, he did miss the under 18s with an injury, but seems like that'll be fine. And um, he's just such a dynamic defenseman in a year where there aren't a ton of dynamic players. Um, so, you know, I think that's those, those are two guys, you know, that I, I feel need to to stay pretty close to the top. And, you know, it just so happens that, you know, four of at least my top six as a, as a spoiler alert are, are University of Michigan connected players, which is kind of 
crazy for this year because Luke Hughes is committed and three others are there right now. Um, but that's how good that I think that group is. Um, and so that's, that's where I'm, uh, well, I mean, who knows it, before it publishes, it very well could change, but at least four of the top six right now are, are in my, uh, are, are those Michigan guys. So yeah, I think those are for me, at least the, the top guys. So now that the draft lottery is out of the way, we know the exact order. We've kind of, like you said, started zeroing in on this top nine that I'm not going to call a consensus, but we've got right. a pretty good feel for it. If the draft does go fully season, because a lot of people are predicting it's going to get weird, what is the absolute highest? So what team highest up in the draft do you think could reach, not even call it a reach, but go for Wallstead? Um, Boy. That is a good question. Um, I mean, I think I, I think there is a slight chance that it could be the Devils. You know, maybe the Devil. Like, if they do, they not. You know, Mackenzie Blackwood is a good goaltender. He's an NHL goalie. Um, but the guy that you're drafting now is going to be a guy that you expect to be on your team in you know three to four years down the line. Um, I think that they also have a bit of a prospect pool now where they can start making moves like that um, and get a little crazy. But that's probably the absolute earliest. I mean, some people have said maybe even, you know, does does Seattle get crazy and go goalie first overall? I don't or second overall. I don't think so. Um, so I would say that, um, you know, maybe the Devils are, are as close as you're going to see to a reach, but then obviously, you know, we talk about the Red Wings too at, at six and that's a possibility there. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think there are very wide ranging opinions on Wallstead and the quality that he has. If he truly is one of the highest upside players in this draft, if he is a number one long term, I think both, both goalies are believed to be number one projected guys, um, both Wallstead and Sebastian Cosa. So I think that those two, it makes it makes it really interesting, and I I think there are some teams that have those guys in rever- in different order as well. I think there are some that absolutely believe that Kosa is a better goaltending prospect than Wallstead. Um, but I don't know exactly how everybody feels about that. So it's just it's 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 a very strange year where we've got two goalies that we're talking about as potential top ten even picks, um, which is is very rare and and really not something I've seen since I've been doing this. So kind of continuing with that, because obviously us being a Red Wings podcast, we've seen the mocks to Wallstead, to Detroit, and we've heard the discussion of, do you even take a goal in the top 10? Is that even a good strategy? But what makes this one interesting is because like you said, there's two guys who are in the exact opposite of circumstances. Kosa played in a small division and a small season in the WHL and dominated Wallstead's a year older and he was playing in Europe in a pro league and doing well before he kind of tailed off at the end of the year. How do you even begin to compare these guys? Because even stylistically, they're not the same. So how how do you stack all that up on each other to make a judgment? Yeah, I mean, it's it's tough. And I, I wish that I would uh, – I wish I could tell you that I had a, a, a great feel for, for how to evaluate goalies. I mean, it's part of my job to, to, to evaluate prospects, but I'll tell you that the goaltending situation is a real weak spot. And actually, they're, they're actually really similar in age. They were both born in November of 02. So they're, you know, that's one thing that, you know, like if I would say, like, say if, if Kosa was younger, 
I think there wouldn't be a doubt that a lot of teams would have him higher just because of that, that gap. Um, but you know, basically it comes down to how much do you read into Costa's numbers this year? And I think most teams would tell you not much, but he did have a 921 save percentage last year and, you know, has been a really good goalie in the WHL for a good team. I mean, the, the Edmonton Royal T- Oil Kings are a good team and and he's been a top goalie. He didn't have the benefit of a World Under 18 championship last year, didn't have, um, you know, the didn't have any opportunities to, to play in, in international events, wasn't part of the Holinka team two years ago. Um, so, you know, that that's, that's also something to, to, to be aware of, but every step of the way he's been so good. And then I think for what you look for in Wallstead is he's such a unique prospect because there aren't many guys that are his age that have played that many games in the top pro level and played well. Um, you know, and I, I personally thought he was the most talented goalie that they had on the world junior team this year, but he didn't get those minutes. Um, you know, he only appeared in two games and, and was not the primary starter for that team. That was Hugo Alnefelt, who's a, a Tampa Bay prospect, who's a very good prospect in his own right. But I just think Wallstead is better. So, you know, it comes down to, upside how you feel about the styles and everything and i think that kosa's has a little more risk in his game he's a little bit wilder in the crease he's a you know but he's he's so explosive and so powerful and i think this year really refined some aspects of his game played angles better you know was was aggressive but not overly aggressive didn't find himself out of position as much as i think we saw last season which was kind of one of the knocks on him coming into this into this year um, and he's, and he's much bigger too, you know, so he's, he's, he's got a size advantage on, on Wallstead. But I just think that we have more data right now, um, on Wallstead to say a little bit more comfortably. And he, and he's, he's much more technically sound. He's, he's got incredible hockey sense, which I think is really one of the key attributes of, the, of a, that a goaltender needs. It's that pre, those pre shot reads, understanding how plays work, understanding how an opponent, um, is setting up and, and knowing what, where to be and how to, how to get there. When you're, you know, playing against a team that that is, uh, you know, especially against men, it's a lot more difficult. So the long way of saying, I think that they're close, but I do have uh, Wallstead slightly ahead of Kosa, um, and I think that the risk factor remains for any goaltender. I just think that these guys have a lower risk, and especially in a class where there isn't a ton of exciting prospects, you know, we very well could see two number one goalies, and if it's the difference between a number one goalie and a top you know, a second line or third line center at number six or a second line wing or a second pairing defenseman, what sounds better starting goalie. Um, So that's the other thing that you have to kind of consider. Well, since we're talking about positions, the one thing I wanted to ask was um, since the consensus rankings are sort of all over the place in terms of who's going to go where, do you think, teams will go more positional need this year or do you think they'll still try and go i'll say best player available or whoever is on the best player on their boards are um do you think teams will do that and do you think you would do that i i still in this draft it's got to be best player available and i think that that's going to vary from team to team sometimes positions are weighted differently i mean i think that usually you know the the way that you organize it is okay you know, centers over defense or forwards over defense, centers over wings, you know, that kind of thing, or, and, and both over goaltenders, if there's enough of a gap, but you still, you're still judging the player individually and based on the upside that they have. And so I guess, you know, um, for some teams, they're going to say, okay, well, we really think that Simon Edvinson is a top five talent, 
Um, you know, and, and so that might be the difference between, you know, him and, and William Eklund, they might not feel the same way about William Eklund, who's a wing. So, you know, that's, there are going to be teams that, that have those all over the map. And so the evaluations still, they still start at the basis of what's the ceiling of this player? You know, where is he at now? Where do we think he can get to? Um, and the position comes, it doesn't come last, but it definitely comes after those questions are answered. Um, and, and so I think that teams do draft. We've seen teams draft for need. Like I think, you know, the, the Canadians drafted Jesperi Kokeniemi because they really wanted a center. Um, and, you know, he's, he's rewarding them in this postseason. Uh, so that's, that's, that's positive. But I mean, still, it's like, you know, if it were down to me, I would still prefer Brady Kachuk at that point, you know, so like that's, that, that's just me. And so that's not what the, the, the Canadians did. So, um, it's always tough to say because the the best player available varies from team to team. So it's not like you can go off of Bob McKenzie's list and say, well, he's the best player on Bob McKenzie's board. And so that's who the best guy is. You know, the the, the Columbus Blue Jackets thought, you know, Yegor Chinakov was one of the best players in the, in the draft last year and took him way earlier than anybody else had him. And it just goes to show you that some teams are, you know, he's the rookie of the year in the KHL too. So it's not like they made a, a terrible, terrible mistake there. It looks like they made a pretty good. When pick. the Red Wings took more at Cider six overall, I've uh, sort of thrown everything out the window. Yeah. In what I and what I think is best player available because clearly there's no connection between really what con- the consent, the general public consensus, is and what a team's board looks like. Right. Right. Exactly. I mean, and it's and it's so different from like you know, the NFL draft. And, you know, I think that's the draft that so many people are most familiar with where it's going to be a guy that's going to make an immediate impact on your roster and your draft, you are drafting for need. And in the NHL, we're drafting for two to three years out, you know, so in most cases. Um, and, and so that makes it a, a lot more challenging. And that's a big reason why you can't focus too much on the positions because the need that you have may not exist yet. You know, so you have to kind of be ready for that. And that's that's why you go with best player available and go off of upside and go off of projections that you feel that this player is going to get to. I mean, there are so many other things that go into a player projection beyond their stats, beyond their how they play on the ice. I mean, you know, normally we'd have the the medical, you know, all the medical set up at the combine and they would have, you know, physiological testing, not just the 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 performance testing and then they're 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 using some of those numbers to say is this guy going to be able to get to 215 pounds is this guy going to be able to get you know is he going to grow still you know what what are the things that we have to be aware of in his health history that could prevent him from becoming you know the best player that he can be i mean i know that there were teams that that felt very strongly that elias petterson's physiological profile was one that would see him get injured too often to take the risk and you know, as good as he has been, he has also been hurt a lot in his young career. Um, and so that, that's something that you constantly weigh. I would still prefer to have a player of that skill level, but yeah, but I, I love that you brought up more at Cider too, because as, as, as Red Wings fans have learned, he's grown into this incredible defenseman that looks like a number one defenseman for a long time, a cornerstone piece to this team. And I, like, I think I might have been one of the people that had him the highest. And I, I don't, like, but it was 15th and they, and he went six, you know, like, so like that was most people had him in like, you know, 20 range and, you know, and most of us were going off of really, uh, uncertain data. Obviously we saw him in the German elite league, but 
we didn't know how how much we could actually put in how much stock we could put into that because there weren't wasn't much of a precedent for what he did and so that kind of spoke to me a little bit and then we watched him at the the world juniors that was like the second division world juniors which you know what kind of competition is that where he was amazing and it's like well if he could be amazing here and he's pretty good as a pro like there's a good chance that he's going to be able to put it together but it's really hard to do that without you know, the precedent. So um, those are all the different kind of things that go into whatever a team believes is best player available, or, you know, they're still making that projection on not just best player available, but the guy that we think will be the best player in two to three years. So uh, a scenario I keep coming to in my head is, you know, the Red Wings, Steve Eisman's picking six overall, and both William Eklund and Kent Johnson are on the board. You know, let's say the obvious ones are come off, Power isn't there, Beniers isn't there, Luke Hughes, uh, Edvinson maybe even is off the board, and Genther. Those are, in no particular order, the top five. If it comes down to you, and it's it's Eklund or Johnson in this scenario, which way would you lean? And a secondary question is, how do you project these guys in terms of how likely they are to stick at the center position at the NHL level? Well, I think if you're drafting either one of them, you're drafting a wing. I really do. Um, I think if you're, and, and then that changes the dynamic, that, that changes the whole calculus. And then I think you almost have to throw in Mason McTavish into that conversation and say, okay. do we want the natural center? Do we want, you know, that's, that's where it gets interesting, right? Because, I think Eklund definitely has the skill set to be a center, but I don't see him being, um, you know, I, I, I just, he, he's not a big guy. He doesn't have a lot of the strength. Uh, I think that we saw how, how, how much he can open things up on the wing. He still gives you some defensive responsibility, still gives you great effort at the wing position, but he's open up for more offense. I don't think, you know, if, if they put him at the center position this year, he obviously wouldn't have had the production that he had this year, wouldn't have played as many minutes as he did this year. So there's a lot of different things that you kind of have to decide on in, in terms of, you know, what, what makes sense. I think Kent Johnson might, he drives play a little bit more. He's he's got some of that potential, but again, defensively, not exactly his strength. It, you know, he's an offensive guy. Um, he he, you know, to to not to be on a team that is full of freshmen and to still be a wing, you know, that is to me a little bit concerning. Obviously, he needs to get stronger. He needs to just have better details. We'll see if he plays center next year. I mean, if he, if he gets into the center position, you know. Obviously, you kind of look at all that and, and also have to think about, okay, well, Anaheim is making Trevor Zegris a center. They're, t- they've, they've taken him, they started him out on the wing and they realized he was going to best serve them as a center. If you think that, that Kent Johnson can be a play driving center for you, then that's the pick. I think he's probably a little bit more just because of how many options he has when he carries the puck and the, you know, offensively, I think that he gives you a lot there. Um, and potentially could be the center. But I think if you specifically are looking for a center of those players, you're not losing a ton by going to Mason McTavish. Like all, all of those guys are, are fair skaters. There's no burners in there. There's no guys that are going to blow you away. Mason McTavish gives you a little bit more versatility. He's grittier. He's tougher, but he also still has skill, great vision, great hockey sense. You know, so there's, there's a reason why other outlets are putting him, you know, top five uh, uh, in their draft. I mean, Central Scouting had him second, right? which to me is, 
is too high, but at the same time, that's just me versus their opinion on, on, on him. And I think that the huge reason that the value has increased on him is he's a natural center who can play the position, who played it as a professional and who can still drive play and, and give you two way value. So, I mean, I think that that suddenly becomes part of the discussion if you're really thinking about centers. So then specifically with McTavish's skating, one of the talking points around him is, well, yeah, he's competitive. He'll do anything it takes to win. So you can assume he will improve his skating. But as we've seen in the past, generally speaking, players after they're drafted don't improve their skating all that much. It, it for the most part is what it is. It just kind of gets the natural progression from a teenager to an adult, which, but you know, they still have the technical hiccups and whatever wonkiness comes with their st- skating. Do you think understanding that McTavish is probably not going to be a burner that as the NHL gets faster and faster, he can contribute as a center in the top six? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think, you know, it, it's tough to say the, the, the other part of it is, is that this draft in particular is not the best skating draft. Like, you know, and so you just go with, what's there right you have to you 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 can't will the class to get faster essentially you know so so if he's the best option know you go into that eyes wide open knowing that skating is not a strong suit now he's not so i wouldn't call him slow i think he's effective i think he you know he, he's he's competitive he he wins puck battles and you know he, he he still able to do everything at the level that he's at now with without much issue but i don't know that he's necessarily the guy that, you know, is he gonna, is he gonna be your number one guy and, and, and move? I, I don't think so. I don't view him as a, as a number one center. But I mean, I think your number two, you can get away with some of those deficiencies as long as he provides that good value. And I, I think hockey sense really can make up for some of those lack of, you know, the lack of skating. And I think that's the same thing with Brant Clark. You know, they, they have high end hockey sense. They move pucks well. They understand games. You, you know, they can still exploit gaps because they know how to, you know, control play and just, you know, make plays in the offensive zone and extend plays and pu- and protect the puck as well with their bodies. I think the, the issues arise, you know, kind of when they're in puck pursuit, when it's like short distance situations where you need to have some burst, you know, puck races, things like that. Um, but if there are plenty of guys, I mean, you look at Mark Stone right now and he is, uh, he he it's it's painful to watch him skate sometimes honestly but he's one of the best defensive players in the game and it's because he's one of the smartest players in the game he just knows how to play um and and so i i think that that is something you just you have to take what the class gives you and i think that you know you just know that that's something that you have to continue to work on with the player it's something that they can improve will it get dramatically better Almost certainly not, because at this age, it just doesn't seem to happen for a lot of guys. But it can get better, and I think that it's not so bad that it's a, that you completely, you know, pass on a guy with his vast versatility and package and diversity of skill that he brings to the table. So pivoting over to Detroit's uh, other first round pick, which I mean. I sound like a broken record saying this. 23rd overall, 22nd player off the board. Thanks for nothing, Arizona. Um, are there any guys within, you know, the top few tiers, so to speak, that you think are liable to drop that could be a, a pretty good steal at that 22nd player off the board? Or are there players in that range that you think teams should really be looking to target? I mean, I, I think there's anything can happen. 
I mean, really anything can happen there. I think, you know, one guy that you might from that next tier, there are a couple guys. Like I think Aturatu could be there at 23 and you say, do we take the chance on him? He had a terrible draft year, completely underperformed based on expectations showed, you know, just it was not a good year for him. Is it an anomaly or is it where he's at? And, and I think if you're picking, you're, it's not a decision you're going to make in the top 15, but if you're picking in that 20, that, that second part of that first round, all of a sudden that, that, that middle third, basically, then all of a sudden you're, you're feeling pretty, you know, like maybe that's a, an opportunity to, to get some value there. Um, you know, I think Carson Lambos is another one, a really solid defenseman, you know, giftedly offensive, uh, offensive guy. Um, and, and then also just, you know, he, he, he only played in two games in the WHL, did play in Finland, looked pretty good over there. Um, but how much do you weigh that? And then he, he, he was a really good U17 in the WHL too. But again, that's another risk mitigation kind of situation where, you know, that's why teams that are outside of the top 20 are looking at those kind of players more carefully because if they do happen to drop there, then you, you know, you've done all your homework. You know that you have a, a good feel for that player. So it wouldn't shock me to see either of those guys kind of in that range. I mean, if you look at some of the others, you know, what, what are, you know, you might start looking at, at need based on what's available on the board, you know, and say, okay, do we need another, can we find a good enough defenseman here? Can we find a center at this point? Can we find, you know, what, what, what's available? Well, you know, the one thing that I think I can probably guarantee you is that neither of the goaltenders of the top two goaltenders are going to be there at that point. Um, you know, just based on everything I've been hearing and, and just, it sounds like those guys are going to go, you know, early enough where, that's not an option there. I think you'd love that if that happened, if you're one of those teams, and then it makes that decision that much easier. But, you know, I think there are a lot of good players there, though, in that in that range. And it's not just the two guys that I mentioned. You know, I think you think about guys like Sasha Postajov, who scored a ton of points at the NTDP, another guy where skating is a huge deficiency. I mean, you know, it's just that's that's the year that we're having. A guy where skating isn't a deficiency, but size is, is Logan Stankoven. You know, maybe he's a guy that you can – plug in there i love the way that he plays the game i think he's a spark plug um you know it's it, he, he's not gonna you know i don't think steve eiserman is going to be afraid of size being an issue um because you know he's a dynamic player mackie samuskevich from the chicago steel very quick player one of the better skaters in this draft among guys that that'll probably play wing and another guy that's committed to the university of michigan you know i think he could kind of go somewhere in that 20 to 30 range um or maybe even a you know he could even slip a little bit further it's you know the, he's he's kind of you, you don't really know but there are a lot of options in that range that are going to give you some pretty good potential um it's just you know it's not it's hard to say because we don't know how that middle of the draft is going to go and which teams like who, I mean, Yarmo Kekalainen still has to pick in there somewhere, you know, so you never know what he's going to do. And, and, and that's, that's just kind of where um, all those things are going to kind of come into play that, you know, you, you can't really predict. And so it's tough to say what will be available, but I mean, that's, you know, five or so names there that are probably, you know, a few of them could be there. So. Well, speaking of the unpredictability, staying around that pick, one, I don't want to call it trend, but one player that I've seen from a few scouts who say he could fall, and I, I thought he would be closer to a conversation in the top 10 versus falling out of the top 20, but that's Fabian Lucell. Because obviously, requesting the trade midseason and the inconsistency in his game, 
combined with the undeniable talent he has, has projected him all over the map. Do you think there is a chance he could actually fall out of the top 20? I I would say it's possible. I'd say if it was me, no. But, I I mean, I think it is possible. He's a guy that, you know, one of the things about him is he's he's in a draft that's not very – Speedy, he's quick, he has great hands, he scores highlight real goals. You know, I think there there are definitely some concerns about, you know, is he consistently competitive enough? Is he, can he do more than perform off the rush? I mean, I think that that's, that is a very genuine and real concern. And it is important, even though the NHL can be a rush league, it's not, every goal is not scored off the rush. In fact, many are not. And so you have to, you have to be able to play kind of down low and you have to be able to compete. And I think that that's one of the things where, you know, when, when you're trying to get sustained pressure, is he going to be able to win pucks? Is he going to be able to, to, to battle and get you a puck off the wall and get it to the middle of the ice? Is he going to be able to go to the net? Um, I think those are all valid criticisms. And, you know, surprisingly enough, when, when Sweden announced their U20 roster for, uh, the, the, the pre world junior camp, they'll, they'll be coming to Michigan for, uh, the world junior summer showcase. He's not on it. Um, others are like Simon Robertson and, and guys that were on his team this year at the world under 18s. Um, I haven't gotten confirmation why he's not on it. So I don't know if there's an injury or something else. Uh, but that's not the, the first time that's happened to, to players where there were concerns about, you know, maturity, um, you know, attitude, those things. Um, also, you know, he, he can kind of disappear in games sometimes. And, and so I still think that the skill level is such and the speed is such that he needs to go fairly high in the draft, you know, top 15, top 20, um, for me personally. But I can totally see why teams would, would be shying away from that as well. So is it possible that he slips that far? It, it certainly is now. I would, if you would have asked me that, like right around the time of the world under 18s, I wouldn't have thought so. But I just think that, you know, especially in those games against Canada and, you know, so he played really well against the U.S., but in games against Canada, um, just really went quiet and didn't necessarily have the impact. And so when the games get tough, can you count on them? I think that's the question that a lot of teams have right now. All right. So I have one more question. Um, and it's, it's a question I love asking every scout just because the wide variety of answers we get. So every scout has their guy. I, I don't know what you want to call it. It's that guy who's ranked 40, 50, 60, 70 on everybody else list, but just for whatever reason you gravitate for that player. For me, this draft, it's been Vili Koivinen, but everybody else has a different answer. So I want to know who is your guy that you would be banging the table for if you were an NHL scout? Well, I'm too polite to bang on a table, but I would, uh, I would say that I, I, the guy that I really like a lot that, you know, I, I think most places aren't giving him a first round grade, but I've got him snuck into mine is Prohor Poltapov, um, a Russian winger who has just a, a really tremendous work rate. I think he battles, he, he competes for pucks. He, he burns to score, um, high end puck skills that, you know, he, he scored one of the best goals that we saw at the world under 18 championship with a, you know, he just toe drags people to death. Um, and, and I, I enjoy that, but I, I think, you know, you have to have that. If you can combine that skill with the work ethic, it goes so far for you as a player. And he's one of those guys where, you know, he, he just does so many things well. And, and really the statistics this year too, you know, he had 52 points in the, in the, 
in the Russian U20 league, which was second most among U18 players this year. So with, and, and he's playing in a, in a, in an area where, you know, that, that league can have a real spread in terms of competitiveness. And he's playing on the side where it's still difficult to score. Um, and he just, he finds ways to make things happen. He gets to the middle of the ice really well. He has no fear in his game. So he's not a big guy, but he plays low to the ice and he gets, you know, he gets body position and he finds ways to, to create offense. And so for me personally, that's one guy that I, I really like everything about his game. And I think that he's a little bit underrated for this draft. All right, Chris, uh, thank you so much for coming on the show and offering your insights. Uh, again, everyone, Chris Peters uh, from Hockey Sense on Substack. On Substack. Again, that's hockeysense.substack.com, as well as host of the Talking Hockey Sense podcast. Chris, best of luck leading up to the draft. Uh, hope you get some sleep soon, and uh, let's do this again. Absolutely. Thanks so much, guys. Really appreciate you having me. Cheers. And that was Chris Peters. Uh, thank you so much, Chris, for joining the show. And thank you all for tuning into that interview. Um, lots more to come, of course, on the draft. For now, let's jump into overtime. We're going to take some questions. Overtime is a segment. Actually, no, I, I'm always really bad for this. I've been told that we should uh, do an outright call out for this a little bit more. Um, so a couple things that if you guys want to support the show, um, other than the ways that you already do because you're all amazing, um, besides downloading, listening, telling your friends, etc. Uh, if you leave a review wherever you get your podcast, especially um, Apple Podcasts, that makes a huge, huge difference for us. Also, if you're on Twitter uh, and you don't follow us and you would consider giving us a follow, please do at winged wheel pod on Twitter. And if you go to our bio, you'll see uh, tags for all three of our personal accounts if you want to follow those as well. But um, helping the podcast account grow does quite a bit for us. Um, and we would really, really appreciate the support. Uh, as we remain independent and don't belong to any kind of uh, network or otherwise, um, we really just rely on on word of mouth and the fan base uh, for growth that way. Um, so if you're willing to do that, we would uh, greatly appreciate it, and uh, there will be more pie dances from Evan in the future as compensation. So that is me groveling. I've been told that uh, actually making the ask will make a big difference. So uh, thank you for tuning in to that bit. Uh, we're going to jump into overtime, and we're going to start taking fan questions starting with Patreon, where uh, our Patreon supporters uh, uh, do so or support us in the most incredible way by subscribing to the show. Uh, Michael Barry says, I've seen Steve Dangle's tweet. Has there ever been a fan base more broken? Maybe the Bills after the fourth Super Bowl loss. I don't know, Brad. Where does the current Leafs stack up against the four-time Super Bowl loser Bills? <laughs> I'm Wow, so that was so I hard. Was too, <laughs> I'm so happy. I was too young to really remember that vividly. Oh, man. Vaxed up and vaxed up to get our sacks. Okay. Wor- Hold uh, on. No, the worst part is I can't even come back at you without pissing off 90% of the people listening. That's the problem right now. Yeah. Also, you have to know Lions fans have never had the hope that a four-time Super Bowl participant Buffalo Bills have had. Most Lions fans have no hope. That's actually part of our shtick. I am convinced I will go to the grave never seeing a Lions Super Bowl win. I I know this in my soul, Brad. I know this yeah. in my soul. The only solace for me is knowing that uh, the Bills have a not terrible chance at getting that Super Bowl win this year. 
Uh, hey there, Dub Dub Boys. If Dangle's going to be a Habs fan, are you guys going to become Chicago fans? God, no. Uh, but in all seriousness, who are your top choices for the wings and free agency? I'd rather just sit tight to see who wants to dump cap on us and give us some players in return. Hopefully, we let GMs make poor decisions. Yeah, that's actually the correct answer. Yeah, the bargain bin. That's where I'm shopping. Um, also, I'm going to bring this up in a future episode. I I'm I want to have the Marc-Andre Fleury discussion again. I get that the Red Wings have Grice and they'll want to bring Bernie back, but there's a lot of different ways to make this work. Vegas needs to move Fleury's contract. And I think that is such a big opportunity for Detroit. Uh, Ghost of Podcast Pass says, favorite song from your teenage years? Ooh. It's not a song that came out in my teenage years, but two songs that I listened to repeatedly uh, was Don't Think Don't Think Twice It's All Right by Bob Dylan and I've Just Seen a Face by the Beatles. I listened to like it. That wasn't the genre I always listened to, those genres, but those I listened to quite a bit. What do you wow. look at me like that for? Yeah, well, you shouldn't be. Um, I don't know. I'm, I'm going to cop out and not pick a song because everybody who knows, knows. I'll just say the entire Hybrid Theory album by Linkin Park. It came out just before I turned a teenager and I listened to it all through my teen years. God, you're so old. <laughs> I know, Evan. I know. My grade six girlfriend bought me that album. Wow. For my birthday, I think. Tough times, man. Haven't gotten over that one. <laughs> <laughs> um, Woodson2 says, hey, guys, thanks for all the offseason content and breakdown of the prospects. With our goalie pipeline being so thin, could the Wings sign both Petrozelli and Strauss Mann? Or even one of them. Thanks again for everything, and we all continue to pray Evan finds his golf game soon. I hope he doesn't, because I think golf's more. It's so hard to book this guy. I'm so glad Friday was like a rainstorm here, because I had a match play booked with a guy, and my game is so bad, he would have smoked me. So now we're rescheduled for Tuesday, and I've just been playing nonstop. So I've got a chance again. Yeah, I checked. Uh, I was going through Instagram stories, and I saw Kat's Instagram, and it was you playing in the rain, like with a raincoat on. Like her inside the cart, the rain coming down. I was like, this guy's deranged. He's ill. Like, oh, yeah. You need help. And we teed off at 8.15 in the torrential rain to play. It was great. Yeah. Real good time. Um, They could sign both goalies. You know, when it comes to the goalie pipeline, all you really have to consider is the overall number of contracts in your system. Um, It wouldn't hurt because the goalie pipeline is thin. The Petrozelli situation is ongoing. As we get more information, we'll share. But uh, I don't know if man will come, will want to come to Detroit, but we'll see. Uh, Ruthless and Toothless says, now that the Canadians are in the finals, does it prove that once the system is set in place and the players buy in, who's behind the bench has little importance? I'm going to reject that to some degree. I think in some ways, it doesn't matter who's behind the bench in terms of certain outcomes based on skill level. But to create a system and get getting players to buy in, that almost always not in all cases almost always comes from the head coach so in my opinion i'm gonna disagree there it's the in-game changes that do make a difference a lot of the time because teams know your system they're gonna play against it so you don't have to completely reshape it but you do have to make the subtle changes in it on the fly to counteract whatever the other team is throwing at you so yeah i don't I don't fully buy into that. Obviously, there's some credence to it, but eh, it's a half answer. 
Uh, Colorado 14ers says, I'd be willing to bet if someone had shoplifted a $20 foam finger from the United Center team store back in 2010, the Blackhawks would have called the Chicago police. I also believe that if a credit card fraud ring had targeted the Blackhawks box office, they would have called the FBI. Uh, I believe uh, that articles would have been published um, uh, on the latter as well. It's amazing what humans, uh, human beings will do to protect property as well as what they won't do to protect each other. And when they don't, it's usually because they're afraid to lose even more property. Um, a sad but poignant statement. Third man in says, first, fire every member of the Blackhawks front office into the sun, uh, starting with McDonough, Bowman, uh, McIsaac, and Gary. Not only did they let down their players, but they enabled it happening to a kid. Uh, next, Gary Bettman and Bill Daly uh, for still not seeing this as worthy of an investigation. Then Chicago media for not digging into this in a slow in slow rolling the story. Why does it always have to be left up to Katie Strang of the, the Katie Strangs of the world to be the ones to do their jobs? Looking forward to the the day when a university or organization actually handles one of these situations appropriately rather than trying to bury it. Uh, Jonathan Melwish says, uh, Hey gents, uh, got a pay bump after a year of enjoyment of your content and you guys getting me back into hockey. I thought it's time to become a patron. Jonathan, thank you so much for the support and welcome to the dub dub family. Uh, question is what's been your favorite non wing Stanley cup run or Stanley cup win? Mine was the blues winning season. Ooh, non-wings. Lots to choose from. Um, I liked when LA came as the eighth seed. That was a really fun run to watch. There were some a- fun ones that I just remember because they were entertaining. Like uh, the Dallas-Buffalo final was great. The following year, the Dallas-New Jersey final was great. Um, but in terms of storylines and ones where I got vested into, Ovi. How could you not love seeing Ovi finally get it? Yeah. Those are the first two I thought of, the LA and the Washington win. The uh, Tampa win last year was pretty interesting as well after they got swept by Columbus in the first round the previous year. I wasn't, I don't know if I'd say I was super invested in it, but it was nice to see pro sports again after the pandemic, and there was an interesting storyline there. I I was... Just at the age where I really started following hockey. So I didn't understand the gravity of it at the time. I just remember the final being amazing. And then obviously as I got older, understanding the gravity, 94 Rangers. That was a fun run. Like they had at the massive drought, Messier with the guarantee in the conference finals and then seven crazy games against Vancouver. That was a good one. Seeing Brett Hall hammered singing Gloria was also worth it as well. <laughs> Sam W says, do you think Caulfield's quick success means that teams concern themselves too much with size of the draft and other small guys can have similar success? Yeah. Oh God. Yeah. The answer is here. Yes. Yes. Um, or is Caulfield a very special player that's been exceptional at every level and is destined for greatness? That's also true to a degree. Like not every small look player at- is automatically good, but no, but if you're look at the other enough. side of the damn final Braden points, like four foot 11 and might win the con Smythe. If you're going to be small, just have tree trunks for legs and have an elite talent, and I promise you, you'll be fine. Um, so that's my mistake. Thanks, Ryan. <laughs> yeah, you skip leg day way too much. He Brad doesn't actually. Brad is annoyingly fit for a guy who has less time than most people, um, and I resent him for it on a deep personal level. 
Dave Fantel says, after rooting for Carolina all season, Islanders after that, the salary cap fiasco and the added bonus of being a Wings fan, I have more reasons to root against the Lightning than ever before. Habs in four or bust. Anyways, I'm moving from Detroit down to Atlanta this fall, or down to, yeah, this fall, and was wondering if you guys knew any minor league teams down there worth watching since it's a four-hour drive to the closest NHL arena. Uh, Thanks for the content. This makes me a horrible person, but... um one of my employees went on hiatus for the winter, literally to go play for the Atlanta junior hockey team, whatever the hell it was. And I could not for life of me tell you the name of it right now. Is it the There Atlanta- is one there. Don't know what it is. Atlanta Gladiators. Jonathan put that name forward. That sounds right, but I'm not positive. Uh, Banana is larger. Says five goalies drafted in the first round made it to the semis. Two goalies drafted by their teams in the first round made it to the finals. Paid for by the draft Wallstead at six marketing team. Assuming Eklund isn't available. All right, let's let's God. let's dance. All right, Price and Vasilevsky. No arguments here. Um, they gambled and they won. Let's not ignore the fact that you for as many hits. Like there are Vasilevsky and prices. There's even more misses, but full credit. Sure, Flurry was drafted in the first round, first overall, even. Sure, Varlamov was drafted in the first round. Neither of them are with the team that drafted them in the final. Uh, Vegas actually acquired a second round pick to get Flurry, and Varlamov was signed pretty cheap in free agency. So. Yeah, they were drafted in the first round, but how they were acquired still plays to my point. Zach Busting Hyman says, hey, guys, I saw a random Twitter mock draft and I have never wanted a player more because of a name. Red Savage almost has to be a wing if Eisman is any fun. Uh, we'll get him. Also, the the buster of Hyman, Zach, played at Michigan, so that means we have to sign him because he played with Larkin his freshman season. Am I right or am I right? No, I mean, first of all, funny. But secondly, Zach, we had a whole segment about why we shouldn't sign Hyman. Come on, buddy. Come on. You know, um, on that topic, you know what's going to be funny, though? Hmm. If you count commits, there's going to be four Michigan players drafted in the top 10 of this draft, and this will be the draft that the Red Wings won't draft someone from Michigan. Probably. <laughs> or at least, yeah, it's going to shake out that way. It's going to be hilarious. Uh, Michael Berry says, if the GMs vote that you have to be cap compliant in the playoffs, would that be good or bad for the Wings? That's good for everybody. It's, I mean, it's bad for teams if they have injuries, but... By and large, it's better for the sport. I think, I don't know what the perfect solution to the rule is, but yeah, well, I have a feeling that Brad's going to bring it up another time so we can talk about it then. Uh, Eric Boyle says Tampa beating the Islanders mean that we're spared from some of the bad hockey men takes about how stars are overrated and defense is the only way to succeed, uh, at least until the Habs win a game. What's your maximum chaos 2022 finals matchup that would make the hockey men, uh, perseverate on a different bad lesson is that a new word so we're basically trying to figure out the perfect anti old hockey guy cup final like that's what we're trying to do for next Mm -hmm. year perseverate repeat repeat or prolong an action thought or utterance after the stimulus that prompted it has ceased we do a lot of perseverating on this podcast thank you for the new word eric there we go thank you i'll never use it in the Eastern Conference, there is one answer and one answer only, and I hate it, but it's Toronto. 
And in the West, there's a few options there. Colorado immediately jumps to mind, but I think everybody kind of agrees that Colorado is just on another level. So it's not almost not even fair. I don't know. I'm not coming up with a great answer out of the West, truthfully, for anybody who breaks the old hockey men mold. You guys thinking of any? Because I'm. No, because I think there's, uh, you know, as much as we make fun of like the, it's not a this or that, it's not an us versus them thing. Like there's a lot of crossover. It's not just because someone has a different school of thought. They also recognize good players. And I think your example of Colorado is perfectly right. Anybody on, if you want to say either side of the aisle, will look at that team and go, yeah, that's an extremely well-built team. Um, It has qualities that, you know, old school hockey constructors will like and it'll have a lot of new school things that that people will like with the way that, the way that team's constructed toronto honestly, would be the even like toronto this year making it would be the even the even bigger middle finger in my mind yeah and, and if you look at all the top teams they do have you know an abundance of skill combined with that quote-unquote grit i mean tampa is built that way colorado vegas like all the good teams have both of those elements to some degree uh, but yeah, I'm not. I'm not finding that like super analytics, high skill, all fun team in the West that would really throw everybody off. Uh, Jake Nagy says three guys uh, I see as having boomer bust potential at the top of the draft are Clark, Edmondson, and Johnson. If you knew today that they'd all reach their full potential, who would you want the most? That's incredibly close, but I'm gonna go Johnson here just because of the amount of talent he has. Yeah, Johnson is the correct answer there. Edvinson would be Edvinson would be huge, but I, I think Johnson's ceiling is the highest of the three by a considerable margin. Um, Adam Kalsert says, "Hey guys, I, this is unlikely, but did you uh, catch wind or watch the Disc Golf World Championship? No, but I saw the shot." which is apparently the greatest shot of disc golf history. And that was cold as hell. That dude is, that was sick. Wasn't it like he had to make a hole in one to send it to a playoff or something like that? Like the equivalent of that? Yeah. Like if you grew up dreaming of disc golf, well, first of all, a lot of things. But secondly, I guess that's the situation you'd be dreaming of. And that dude hit it. It was insane. Uh, He had one after that. I I never looked up the context. I just watched a 30-second clip. But hey, disc golf, you look cool. Um, Also, the dog on Reddit that went two for two in the semifinals picked the Habs to win the cup. So, no need to watch the cup finals. We know who won. Well, I I will never not trust a dog. Lars, the prophet of the towering behemoth, says, hey, boys, what would you prefer? Picking one goaler in the first round every five years or picking... Uh, one goalie in the second and third round every year for five years for a grand total of 10 goalies. I prefer that one. Yeah, the second give one. Me, give me a goalie in the third round every year. It's not a linear drop-off from first to second round in terms of player value. So you're right. That's a lot of value. Also, with the second and third round picks, you're bound to get a good goalie there. You'd hope. Vax Wax and $18 million over the cap says, Hey fellas, I'll be in Detroit this week, finally meeting my baby niece, exchanging belated Christmas gifts with the family. What did I get them? Everyone gets an 8x11 framed Olin Mills portrait of me because I'm a raging egomaniac. Bradley John, how many players can you name off the top of your head who are primary wingers and juniors and transition to center in the N- at the NHL level? Almost none. 
I don't think off the top of my head. I mean, Alex Tuck played a shift, played a game at center for Vegas, and that's about <laughs> all I'm coming up with. Uh, and if Marc-Andre Fleury gets in the Hall of Fame, then Ozzy has to. That's just the rules. I don't make them. Wait a minute. Bradley John Crisco, Christopher John Osgood. Jinkies, I think we found the only reason for BJ's low opinion of Ozzy. Highlander, there can only be one. Ozzy for Hall of Fame, stay fresh cheese bags. I knew this. I knew it. <laughs> Evan, you said this last episode. You said the phrase behind the stuff scenes. And uh, it's just something like everyone messes up words, especially on a podcast. I, we say, f- what did I say? Instead of behind the scenes stuff, you said behind the stuff scenes. Ugh. And I was like, that's just like the smallest thing. But I was like, someone's going to get you. Anyways, uh, Rowan, uh, or better known on this comment as behind the stuff scenes, says, good day, dud duds. When will you be releasing the Evan cut of the outtakes, a.k.a. the behind-the-stuff scenes on you watch? This should include never-before-seen footage of BJ and his finger oopsie, including him weeping like a child, which is what I assume happened. If you guys ever want the uh, YouTube supercut of the edits, it is legitimately just us being muted and forgetting that we're muted, uh, randomly rambling for three minutes before we get to our point and going, oh, screw it, no, cut all that. Or massive audio glitches because recording remotely is a pain in the ass. And the behind the scenes footage of my finger ouchie probably wouldn't be what you think it is. So there's kind of a half running joke, I think, going on behind the scenes of some people think I'm a serial killer now because obviously I had a ton of blood pouring out of me and I was unnervingly calm about it. Like the guy, there was only one other guy there when it happened. So I wrapped it up in paper towel and he was talking on the phone. So I stood there and was kind of like just waiting around for him to finish. He finished. I said, Hey man, uh, can you give me a hand with this? And he saw it and he's like, what the fuck? <laughs> and came in. And then I guess he was telling everybody after he's like, it was a little weird that he actually waited for me, <laughs> which well, yeah, probably in hindsight being 2020 wasn't a good idea, but whatever it worked out way to out yourself as a serial killer um you know i I gotta drop a bunch of breadcrumbs along the way right (laughs) for the inevitable trial (laughs) i also fully support the no eiserman team and their brilliant salary cap control as they've played fully within the confines of the rules bless them for making bj so angry and stressed uh he wiped another six months off of his life expectancy why are Les Frenchies fans so heckin' precious, gullible, and dumb? Literally every time I tweet something super ridiculous about them, they end up in my mentions trying to have a legit argument, even when I double down on how ridiculous it is. Anyways, the Stanley Cup final will be uh, fun for messing with people online. I can't wait. Jersey time. Best no Eisenman team. So no Eisenman team is the lightning, in case you got anyone needs a translation here, in their history. And which is better? The Canadians home or away. Also, fun fact about uh, them, the NHL logo is LNH because French. Oh, yeah. I yeah. Uh, I knew that. You never noticed that? I knew that, but I always kind of forget it. Um, best lightning jersey has to either be their reverse retro or like the actual original jerseys. I love it's the, the original bolt. black one. Yeah. A thousand percent. And what did and did he say best Montreal jersey home or away? Yeah, like current home or away. It's the home. It's a home. A thousand percent. That's one of the best jerseys in sports. I really like their aways, though. I think their aways are nice. They're so classic. They're really good. But like the blue bar across the middle. Montreal was the only team that did the bar across the middle of the jersey forever, and now everybody does it because it's so clean. You're telling me the Florida Panthers aren't the first team to do it? 
That's sacrilege. Um, it was actually Minnesota. Look it up. <laughs> Uh, no, you're you're right. Looking at it, I think it is the home, but the away is so nice. I don't think you can discredit it. Uh, Restez les, les sacs du fromage. Man, you can't make me draw my grade 10 French. It's, it stopped at that point. It's bad. It's bad Quebecois French. Uh, time for some Reddit questions quickly. Um, King Moth says you can bring back one non-Hall of Fame Red Wings uh, alumnus to fit in with the rebuild timeline, excluding Zetterberg and Datsuk. Who are you bringing back? Love the podcast. Keep up the good work. That is a fantastic question. Non-Hall of Fame makes it tough. Uh, God, because that chops off basically most of the 90s. Um, best non-Hall of Fame Red Wing to bring back... Or the Red Wings now. I assume we get this person like at the right age. So it's not like we have yeah, to bring yeah. in like a 39-year-old Doug Brown or something like that. Yeah, if it's at the right time. Holmstrom? Like we're going in recent year. I'm thinking Holmstrom. thinking like Rafalski maybe. Cronwall. Um, uh, Kozlov. Oh, shit. Yeah, there you go. That's a great answer. Okay. Um, Melody M Lodi ninety one says, "Who do you guys prefer to be alongside Cider next year? Alexiak, Alec Martinez, or do we stick with the devil we know and re-sign Stall for another year? Keep up the work, good work, Cheeto bags. I think I'm saying it right, right? Yeah, the cheese bags thing has to be confusing. Given what Martinez and Alexiak's contracts are likely gonna look like, I would go with Stall on this one." All right, we are going to uh, wrap up the podcast for now. We will be back with you all midweek. Thank you all so much for tuning in. Um, thank you all for for preemptively. If anyone uh, heard our 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 pleas to support us on Twitter and leave ratings, and uh, for all the support you already give us, we we can't tell you enough how much we appreciate it. Lots of draft content to come. Lots of fun Stanley Cup Finals coverage to come. So stay tuned. We'd like to thank all of our name level sponsors on Patreon: uh, Arjun Shanker, Eves Bartels on behalf of the Sarah Grand Foundation, Brett Bailey, Terry Driver of Crying Ryan, Hannah's Banana Slamma Jamathong, Taylor Tagel, Brandon M, Citizen High Five, Craig Kibble, Greech, Hanali. Hassam Al-Kassem, Jacob Turner, Jake Kiefer, Jeremiah Dobo, Joe Santangelo, Justin and the Angry Mob, Kaylin Wood, Cody Stark, Kyle Hashman, Kyle McClure, Matt McKay, Matthew M. Rice, R.A., Ryan Hubbard, Scott Martin, Stacey Lynn, Zach Spring, Zach Hyman, or busting, sorry, uh, Andrew Bohan, Sam Bankson, Adam, I wish I could finish like Ernie, another former junior goalie turned golfer, Antonio Gracias, B.J. Crisco, Colorado 14ers, Connor Leighton, Dave W., Evans Bingo Card, Jeremy Brocker, John Evans, Josh Yelton, Kevin McCracken, Quaz, Matt Keeler, As Good As It Gets, Reed, Stan Olson, Trevor Pepevar, Vaxed, Waxed, and 18 million over the cap. See you guys this midweek. Thanks for tuning in to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Be sure to check out wingedwheelpodcast.com, where you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll also find links to other ways to support the show, such as Patreon, official podcast apparel, and more. And don't forget to follow the show on Twitter at Winged Wheel Pod. And of course, the hosts at Brad Crisco, at Ryan Hanna WWP, and at Hockey Town Evan.